I want to, uh, Cole and uh, Aubrey and Gabe and Tiffany are uh, uh, leading the youth out on Wednesday nights, and um, they've been going through a book called At the Table with Jesus, and last week Cole, during the message, was really moved and, and shared some, something there at the end about because of the theme that God has them on on Wednesday nights, and I wanted to read just a little bit of an introduction before I go to the message uh, this morning out of that book that they're reading, and it says this, it says, have you ever wondered what uh, the world's most expensive table uh, might, might be like? And then he said, me neither. But I saw a headline of an article recently that caught my attention. And of course, I ended up reading the whole thing. Turns out that the world's most expensive table is called the Tuft Pier Table, named after a guy who built it, Thomas Tuft. Imagine what a good marketer uh, could do if Thomas were in business today. Built Tuft. Crafted in 1776, this table was sold to a general store owner from Lumberton, New Jersey, uh, named Richard Edwards. All that sounds pretty normal, right? Sounds pretty normal, right? Now comes the crazy part. A little more than 200 years later, one of Edwards' descendants sold the same table at Christie's auction for $4.6 million. And here's how the New York Times responded on the sale. The prize of the sale was a Philadelphia console or pier table with a Chinese-style apron a pierced fretwork, tall legs, narrow ankles, and finely detailed ball and claw feet. The Rococo rarity carved by Thomas Tuft in 1775 and 76 was sold for $4.6 million on January 20th, becoming the most expensive table in the world. The price was well above the pre-sale estimate uh, of at most $1.5 million. When I first read that, I thought, hmm, okay, how do, a, how do narrow ankles translate to four and a half million bucks? I mean, what is more commonplace in the world today than a table? Everyone has one, more than one, probably. Our homes are packed with them, from dinner tables to breakfast nooks to end tables to bedside tables to coffee tables. Go to most parks and you'll find a whole line of picnic tables sitting out there on the grass, free for anyone to use. Or just throw a piece of plywood on top of some cinder blocks and boom, there's a table. And yet, the more I think about it, the more I realize tables have a symbolic value within our culture. Tables are connected to some of the most important and meaningful moments of our lives. When we're at home, for example, we gather around the table with those nearest and dearest to us. We have our first dates at tables. We celebrate golden anniversaries at tables. We forge new friendships at tables. We teach our kids important lessons at tables. We even make business deals by shaking hands over and signing papers on conference room tables. In a lot of ways, then, a table is an icon of influence, of access. When you let someone join you at a table, you're inviting them in, bringing them close, opening yourself in a way that's vulnerable. So yeah, I guess I can see why tables are valuable. Amen. And I want to talk about there's still room at the table. A table that is far more valuable than $4 million at a Christie's auction. A table that is that you're invited to, that really the whole world is invited to, but yet not everyone. Sadly, there are billions out there, maybe millions to billions out there that are sitting at this table today. 
They are, they are partaking of this table. They're, they're, they're talking at this table. They're talking about Christ. They're enjoying this table. And yet, there are many in this room who still have not, have not accepted that invitation. And they are outside of this. They're not sitting at the table. And the, way, the, the, the invitation for you today is there is hope and there is room for you at this table. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12, or you can follow on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, and I want to start with this about the resurrection because there's something that we find very valuable here. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because this is how, I'm reading this, this is a, you'll, you'll find out in a minute why this is important because you're going to find out this is the way we get to the table. There is no other way to get to the table except through this. So let me read it again. Go back one again. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So there were a group of people, even though they were preaching Christ has been raised from the dead, had concocted the crazy idea that he really has not been raised from the dead. And that was beginning to be preached. Now look at what Paul goes on to say in the next verse. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If there is no death, if there is no burial, well there could be a death and there could be a burial, but then if there is no resurrection, we are in trouble. The fa- we might as well pack it up, turn, close down shop here, and let's go home. Because your faith is meaningless if there is no resurrection. It's, it's empty, and our preaching today would be empty. Go on to the next verse. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up from the dead. If there's no resurrection, then I'm a false prophet because I'm telling you today that there is a resurrection of the dead. And, and uh, whom did? He did, uh, and you're saying he didn't raise him up. In fact, the dead do not rise. Look at the next verse. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, he says it again, your faith is futile because you are still in your sins. If Christ is not risen, then he has not carried your sins into the grave. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. If, if all of our sins were not carried into that grave, and if he was not buried, he's, what he's saying basically, if there is one sin left out there, Caleb, that was not that, that Christ didn't atone for, then, then, then we're not rising. Because the wage of sin was death. He had to pay for all of sin. And the only way God is going to receive and resurrect him is if he paid that penalty in full. So we know that our sin is atoned for in the fact that Jesus came up out of that grave. Not one of our sins was left that was not atoned for because we know he came out of the grave. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, Charles and Kathy and those who have gone asleep in Christ before this day and this time, if they are in Christ and they've died, then then if there is no resurrection, they're done, kaput. They're in the grave. It's over. Or they're gone to hell. It's over. They perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. If, if if, If all we have is hope right here and now, then, 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 then we're not really to be envied. 
But he's saying there is something far more better than this that Christ has now atoned for. There is a table now spread out for you. There is a way that has been opened up. There is something for humankind. We were locked out in Adam and Eve in the garden because of our sins separating us from God. Kicked out into the wilderness, so to say. No longer access into the presence of God until the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Until the wage of sin was paid and the gift of God was now available to be received. And now there is access and availability to the very throne room of God where we can find, Hebrews says, grace and mercy. We can find mercy. You need mercy today if you're locked outside of Christ. If you don't know Christ, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. And I got news for you. You cannot pay for them yourself. You better cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. That means I can't pay for them. Unless you have mercy on me, I'm, 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 I'm lost. I'm dead. I'm doomed for. But oh God, you are a merciful God. You are good to people. You are merciful. So I can come to the throne, Hebrews 4, 6, and I can find grace in my time of need. Folks, you need God. You need God more now than you've ever needed God. So there's so much that more that Jesus is now offering through His death, burial, and resurrection. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope not only in this life, but we have life. Hope, Paul says, in eternity. We have eternal life. We have hope in eternal hope. Not just living here and now, but one day heaven is going to be my home. And when we come to Jesus, this life, becomes permanent it becomes it becomes so permanent I have eternal life that becomes permanent not just here but here but in the but but one day forever with Jesus in in eternity in the sweet by and by and resurrection is what gives us access to come boldly as I said Hebrews 4 I said 6 is 4 and 16 come boldly to the throne of God of grace you have a high priest now in the heaven not a high priest like like was there in the Old Testament they had to go every year and make atonement for his sin and then the sins of the people and do it over and over again no you have a high priest that was perfect never sinned carried our sins away and paid for them in full and he doesn't have to go to the father over and over and over again and he's opened up up a way into the presence of God not just for him to go in once a year but for us all to come in boldly with confidence before the throne of grace and, and, and find that grace and obtain mercy in that place so everything we enjoy in this life what happens uh, is it, well, well, let me back up that all is free that all is free he worked for that he said it is finished here's the problem with that is we love to labor. We love to labor on this earth, right? Everything we enjoy in this life, what did we do? We worked for it, right? We worked for it. We worked hard to go on that vacation. We worked hard to, 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 uh, to, to get a mortgage and, and, and to take a house. And we, we have a job and we, we applied ourselves. And all of those things, we make exchanges for things here and there. But in the kingdom of God, there is no exchange. There is nothing that we do on our side. It's, the work has already been done. And there is already a table that is opened up. And we enter into that by faith, the Bible says. We come into that relationship. We enter 
enter into that by faith because the work is already done. Now what is left for us to do is to come to His table because there is room at that table for us. And that's what is left to do now because of this. Because of the resurrection, if you don't know Christ today, if you're standing outside of this and you're trying to decide, what am I, you know, I don't know, I think I always lead to God and all this, I'm trying to figure it out, the universe and blah, 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 blah. Well, I got news for you today that you're, you're, you're going to find yourself in trouble. There is a table and there is access opened up and it is into the divine presence of God and what is left now, the work is done. The offer has been given. The invitation is given out there for everybody, not just for those who already believe, but there's room enough today at the table for you if you're outside of that. There's room enough at the table for the prostitute down here. There's room enough for the table for the drug addict. There's room enough at the table for the homosexual. There is room enough at the table for the sexually perverse. There is room at the table for the liar and the cheat and the thief and the murderer. There is room at the table for one more, I guarantee you. Amen? And all that is left is you for you to come to the table, to come and eat a meal, to come and rest at the table, to come and, and enjoy His presence there. If you got your Bible or look at the screen at Luke 14, 16 through 24, and I want to show you a table. I want to show you a, a parable that Jesus gave of this great supper where an invitation went out to many, many people. And this is a, what has gone out since, uh, uh, since Calvary, or really it went out before then, but that's when it was really uh, enacted and available. An invitation to many to come for all things are now ready. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and he invited many and he sent his servant at supper time to say, see it's supper time right now. It's supper time. The, 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 the meal is it's ready. It's already ready. It's not like us who, who uh, when we invite somebody over to our house and we say, hey, uh, you know, uh, give me just a few more minutes. Y'all going to have to turn the ball game on or you're going to have to do something because uh, I, I thought... I uh, Y'all caught me, and the, f the food is still in the oven. we got to get the rolls in there. There's a few more things we got to finish up. Make yourself at home. You know, get some little chit-chat going, whatever. Uh, but give me a few more minutes. No, the Bible says here, the supper is ready. Jesus is not waiting to do anything else. It is ready at supper time. The table is spread. The invitation is going out. And all that there's left for you to do is to come to the table. Come to the supper. And he invited many. And he sent his servants at supper time. He sent them out to say, those were invited. Come, for all things are now ready. It's all ready. The food is ready. When you arrive, it's there. It's ready to go. Look at the next verse. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Just like today. Self-interest. Look at verse, four, verse 18. But they all with one accord begin to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused from the supper. Have, I, I know it's ready, but I bought a piece of property. I've got, I've got self-interest that I care more about myself and the interest here in this earth than I do about you. 
So have me excused. You know, put my plate in the microwave. I might come later, but 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 I, I can't make it to the, to the supper now that, that it's there. I invested in a property, and I'm going to go check on my investment. I, I bought something, and I'm so excited. I got to get down to the Apple store. They got the new iPhone. What are we on? Fifteen. Have me excused. I got, I'll be at the Apple store. The table can wait. I bought five yokes of oxen and I got to test them. What a great time to test oxen during a meal. Right? Miss the meal and go test your oxen. I got to test my new Toyota. I got to test my new this. I got to test my new that. Or verse 20 about self-love. I just got married. Look at verse 20. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I've dreamed about this day my entire life. And it's a, it's a picture of self-interest there in the beginning. And there's a picture here of self-love. It's a picture of people who did not understand the season and time in which they were living in. They were preoccupied with life much like today. Much like they were back in Noah's day when they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage, right? This is my plan for my life. But God would like to come into your life and He may, he may alter your plan a little bit to, 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 to line up according to His life. And i got news for you. It'll be so much better than the things that you want to eat and drink and be given in marriage and do all those things. It may include that, but it'll even be better. It'll be even, even more enhanced if you'll allow Him to come into your life and, and, and to come to the table. But we're so preoccupied with life, we tell Him, no, have me excused. I'm not coming now. Look at verse 21. So that servant came and reported these things back to his master. And the master of the house, that's God. And I know y'all hate this. And you don't let preachers preach it. But this preacher preaches it. Because you don't like a God like this. But the master of the house being angry. Oh, God gets angry. God has a right to get angry. Just as much as you have a right to get angry. There is a nice God and there is an angry God, right? He's the same God. He's a love God of love and He's a God of wrath. And I got news for you. His anger is righteous. His anger is good. His anger is just. It is right. And if He gets angry, we ought to be angry. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, I'll tell you what, go quickly into the streets, the lanes, and the cities, and bring in the poor, and the maimed, and the lamed, and the blind. What an incredible picture of the body of Jesus Christ. The lame, the poor, the blind, and the maimed. What a picture. Look around you. You're in good company. That's what the church of Jesus Christ looks like. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Now I need to tell that to a lot of self-righteous people. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. 
It's like the lost coin in the parable in Luke 15. If you just travel on over and you see in Luke 15. What did that coin do? That coin did nothing. It's lost. Look, the prodigal, my, look, the bottom line in all those stories, I'm going to preach a message one day, Lord willing, is that, that God, you didn't find God, God found you. And in every one of those stories, God came after those people. Like He's coming after you today. And He's saying there's room at my table. But we could say that the prodigal could accidentally wander back, you know, and we could say that the, the sheep could, could somehow wander back into the town and bump into God or something. But the coin could do nothing. The coin is simply lost. It, by nature, is lost. And that's you, my friend. That's you. By nature, when we sin, when Adam sinned, we inherited the Adamic nature. We are simply sinners because we are lost. And the only way that you get changed is when you get born again. And that's what the son did out in the pig pen where he had a repentance and a change of heart and he left the old nature there. He came with an Adamic nature, harlots and wine and women and song. And when he got up out of that place, he left the Adamic nature and he became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away and behold, everything became new inside of his life. Amen. And I love what I'm seeing like at Brookside Beans. And if you're not there, you're missing it. All ages learning how to go out and love people. How to go into the projects. How to go into uh, around the neighborhood and around different places. And calling people to come and, 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 and to fellowship and to come to know the Lord. And we're seeing the, the, the small children helping and the teenagers helping. And all ages helping there. And it's amazing to see that. To go out and invite all the people who call them. You know, hey, the master says to go out and invite all the people. Because all the people who call themselves perfect. They have too many things to do in their life. All the people who think they're okay, who think they're, you know, the hardest people to reach is a self-righteous person. Right? And so he says, go out and invite all those people who call themselves perfect, but none of those people who call themselves perfect come. So he says, now I want you to go out and invite the lame and the blind and the poor and the sick. And, and, and those are the people that usually society has a tendency to say, oh, don't bring them here. Come on, even McDonald's, oh, they, they put all their love stuff out, all this fake love junk that we got today. How do y'all do that? All this fake love that we just mushy-gushy feelings that we think is real love. But you watch the way they do and how they treat people. You take a homeless person and, 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 and who's a blind, lame, poor and, uh, uh, like this and watch them go into a McDonald's and see how fast they throw him out. See how fast they don't serve Him. See how fast that they, that, they, that they do things like that. Not so in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of heaven, God says, I'll serve you. Come to my table. Come to my table. At my table, we serve the blind. We serve the lame. We serve the crippled. We serve everybody down here. Everybody's divided. And, and yet, when the people come, there's still room for more to come at the table. And that's what He says in verse 22. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. We went into the highways and byways and hedges. We went and got the lame. We went and got the all the blind we knew. We went and all got all of these people and we brought them back and we compelled them to come in that your house might be filled. But there's still room. There's still room. And that's the second part of this altar call. Shame on us. There's still room at the table. 
And if you're here today and you're not at the table, you're not too far gone. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, please come to the table. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how lame you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how, how you feel about yourself. We are compelling you to come in. That's what the master said. He said, tell the servant. Listen to what he said in verse 23. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That doesn't mean just kind of go out and casually, well, I hope you might know Jesus. No, he is saying compel them to come into the house of God. Compel them to come into the supper. There's still room that my house must be filled. In other words, it's life or death. Without coming to this supper, you're going to die and perish in a lake of fire. You're going to die apart from God and you're going to perish in hell. And he's saying compel them to come in. My house must be filled with these blind, with these broken, with these sick. He said they have nothing to offer to me, but once they're born again, they have everything to offer to the world. Once they're born again, they have everything to offer. They can go out with this gospel and they can preach it and invite others to come in to the kingdom of God. So he invites the blame, blind, the lame, the broken, and the lost. And guess what? Before you look too low on them, remember that you once were like them. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were cleansed. You were changed. You were transformed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And now because of His death and resurrection, we have access into the very presence of God. So we don't look down on that group of people. We have compassion on them. And we compel them to come to the supper. Come to the Lord's table. Because He wants you at His table just like it is. And I want to close in a minute with this wonderful, wonderful lame man. Because he said, go out and get the lame. So I'm going to show you if you are a lame person here today or you're blind or you're crippled or you're, there's a problem with you. I want to show you exactly what you have to do to get. I want to play this out and show you exactly what you have to do once the invitation comes out. I'm going to show you what's going to happen when you come to the table. And here's a wonderful story in the Word of God. It's found in 2 Samuel. And this is a man who was lame in both of his feet. In fact, he was being carried, I think, by a nurse and she fell and dropped him when he was born and the Bible says that he, he was lame in both of his feet and this man grew up in a, a horrible life uh, that, that any crippled person would be and especially at this time and he thought his life was pretty much over. I mean he's just growing up and he needs help from everybody for everything. He thought his life was over until one certain day when he got an invitation from the king and everything in his life changed in that day from everything on. He accepted the invitation just like I'm giving out an invitation today. God has given you an invitation to His table. If you will come, I'll show you what will happen to you and how glorious this is. It changed this man's life forever, this lame man. He was sitting there. He was just there and just existing and nothing good going on in his life. He accepted the invitation to the king's table and what an amazing thing transpired in his life. Why was the opportunity given and you've got to get this. Why was this man given? Why was this crippled man given uh, 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 an invitation to come to the table? What in the world would have made it possible for just a cripple, for the king, the king to invite this crippled man, this lame, this blind man to come to his table? What in the world would compel him? Is it God, the guy got money? Is the guy good looking? I mean, is the guy got charisma? What, what, why in the world would this guy, is he going to 
work for him? What's going on? The man can do nothing. He's pathetic. He is a lame cripple. There's nothing this guy can do except a servant has left the king's table in this moment and he has gone out to invite this guy to the supper and the boy he accepts the invitation like I accepted that invitation in 1994 when I was crippled, when I was blind, when I was uh, uh, so messed up and an invitation came out to my heart and I accepted it and I'm telling you it was the greatest thing that ever took place. But what made it possible? It's taken me a long time to figure this out, but man, this will seal the deal for you. 2 Samuel 9.1, look at what it says. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? This is not because of anything Mephibosheth is the young man. I'm not showing kindness for Mephibosheth's sake. I'm showing kindness. Is there anybody I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now, who was Jonathan? There was a problem younger David when he's in the house of Saul. And there's this problem going on when David gets anointed king. And there's this problem now and this clash going on between Saul, the house of Saul, and the house of David. And it gets pretty bad. I mean, when your boss throws javelins at you not once but twice to try to kill you, there's a problem. There's a problem going on here. And he was constantly, David is running and he's hiding. And there was times David was going to be killed. But Jonathan and played, who is Saul's son, the king's son, played a pivotal role in David's life and spared David's life on numerous occasions. And then the two did something that is remarkable and something you have got to get. They made a covenant together. They made a covenant together. I'll protect your life, you protect my life. I'll give you everything, I'll give you everything. I'll be there for you, you be there for me. I'll never let your descendants and all your people, if you do this, then I'll make sure if I die, your descendants will be looked at. Yeah, and if I die, your descendants will be looked at. They made this covenant together that they were going to look out for each other. And now the covenant comes to the king's mind. He is reminded of the covenant on a certain day. He thinks about the covenant and all of a sudden he says, is there someone in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him? And here's the response. Look at verse 3. Then the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness to God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame or crippled in his feet. Now when Mephibosheth, verse 6, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David uh, said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Don't fear, for surely, uh, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather and you shall eat the bread at my table always continually forever and then he bowed himself and said what is your servant that you should look upon such as a dead dog during the feast someone is sent out to go find out if there's somebody David can show kindness to out of Jonathan's lineage Mephibosheth receives the invitation the invitation comes to this lame man he comes before the 
king. He falls on his face and he says, why would you show kindness to me? I am nothing but a dog. I'm a dog. Why are you doing this to me? And he says, because of the covenant I have with Jonathan. And I'm telling you something, friend. Why would God bring you to the table? Because of the covenant I have with my son, Jesus. Woo! I'm looking for somebody to show kindness to on behalf of Jesus Christ. Will you come to the table? But I'm a dog. I'm a pornographic nut. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a cheat. I'm a swindler. Don't fear. Be not afraid. You are that <laughs> by nature. But I'm going to change you. And I'm not going to do it for you. I'm doing it for my name's sake. And because of the covenant that I have with my son Christ. You're able to sit at this table and have a meal with me, Mephibosheth. Because of what, what Jonathan and I shared. You're able to sit at the table in heaven because of what the Father and the Son worked out in an agreement long before you were ever even conceived or thought about when they created this plan of salvation from before the foundation of the world. And when my Son goes and dies and is buried and pays the price, when He becomes a man, when He becomes a man and pays the price that man should have to pay, and then He comes and does His part of the covenant, then I'm going to bring all those that come to Him by faith into the covenant and bring them to heaven with me and they will sit at the table there and so here's Mephibosheth saying I'm going to stay at this table now and guess what when we find ourselves at the table here is what is so beautiful listen to what it says Mephibosheth in verse 13 and Mephibosheth was lame in both feet but all the days of his life he found himself eating at the table with David for the rest of his life I want you to picture this when he's in the living room when he's there in the place where he was before he came came to the table, he is lame in his both feet. Everybody can see his lameness. Everybody can see what he was. But once he comes to the table by faith and he is sitting at the table, there is a tablecloth that is covering his lameness. You can't look down and see his feet anymore. You can't see his lameness. Let me tell you, when you come to the table of Jesus Christ, there is a righteousness that covers you. There is a robe of righteousness that comes around you. And it is the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to you. And it comes not, it's not that you become separately righteous. It's that Christ lives in you. He is the righteous one that comes to live inside of you. And he imputes his righteousness to you. And when the father sees you now, he sees his son. And he sees you are righteous because of his son. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's what happens. He's covered at this table. And if you would come to the table, your, your lameness, your blindness, all those things, he would cover you. That's what he did for my life in 1994. All the shame, all, all the filth, all the disgust. 
He, 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 he gave me his life and his covering. Our iniquity is covered. He covered my sins. He covered my lameness. He covered my shame because the king was in need of me and he sent servants out to invite me. And when I came, he covered. The, that's what he wanted to do. That's what he wants to do for you. He wants to cover. And, and the same invitation is going out because the father had a covenant with the son and now we come to the table and at the table we are covered. And that's why we are to go out and invite the lamb the poor and the blind because he's saying when they come to the table I want to impute my righteousness unto, unto them. I want to bring them. I want you to bring them church of the living God. I want you to bring those type people so that I can cover them. Go get the worst ones out there. Bring them. Bring them to me. There's room at my table for one more prisoner. There's room at my table for one more off scourge of the earth. There's room at my table for that husband that you think is too far gone. There's room at my table for that child that you think is too wayward on drugs bring in the lame, bring in the blind, bring in the naked, bring in the poor and I can cover them, come to the table of Jesus Christ and that's our mission for the house of the Lord is that we are to fill it with the lost Brookside Church of God this is your mission, this is not the pastor's mission, this is your mission you, you are responsible. You will stand before God one day. I'm not saying your salvation is based on it, but I'm saying you will stand there and give an account for what we did with the talents that God gave us in this body to do after we come to salvation. And I'm telling you, He's going to ask us, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the things that were available? What did you do with my gospel? And he's saying, invite the poor, the blame, the blind. We're on a mission to fill this house of the Lord with, 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 uh, with people, with the broken, with the lost, with the poor, so that they can come in and find richness and healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says this. You remember last week when we said, uh, when you do this, when you come to the table, you remember uh, we talked about Lazarus and Mary sitting at table time with the Lord, and you remember how? the accuser was there you remember how the accuser's always there, right? When you come to the table, when you are, are lame, I remember coming. How, ma how many years did I have to battle things that I knew in my life that, that, that Christ had already cleansed me from and the accuser's just there telling me, I'm, you're still lame, you're still blind, you're still terrible, you're still this, you're still that, you're still no good, you're still that. But, but what did Jesus do last week when Mary was there and he was saying all those terrible accusations to just leave her alone? Right? And listen to what the Bible says. He's going to come. This old, this old uh, guy is going to come and continue to mess with you. But look what Romans 8, 31 through 39 says. God's everlasting uh, love was offered to us now. And look at what he says. What then shall we say to these things? What can we say to all this being offered to us? That we come to the table and we know that, though that the enemy will be there and telling us that we're still lame, you're still sinful. But Paul reminds the people here that, we are to, we, that we're being born again and we're to call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what you're to tell the enemy when he comes in and say, you're still blind. You're still lame. You're still messed up. What are you doing at the table? And you say if God be for me, devil, who can be against me, right? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. 
Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies me. It's God who saved me. It's God who invited me to this table. It is Jesus Christ who paid the price with His blood. He died on a cross. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. Who shall bring a charge uh, against God's elect? What a powerful thought. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation shall distress shall persecution shall famine shall nakedness peril or the sword and as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long we are counted as sheep as the slaughter yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us no matter what we go through we are more than conquerors then he goes on to say for I I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you. What does nothing mean? Nothing. Nothing can separate you and me from the love of Jesus Christ if you are born again. As a Christian in Jesus Christ. And the invitation now is for you to come to the table because there is room. And the invitation is for you to come in your lameness. In your lostness. In your sickness. In your blindness. In your filth. Because the King is in need of you. He's in need of you. That's what He said. I'm in need of them at my table. Go compel them. The King is in need of you. He sent me here today with an invitation to run to you and to say to you, the king is in need of you at his table. And it's all because of the covenant. Because of the covenant that was made between the father and the son. We have access and we have boldness into the very presence of God. That's simply why. And you enter in by faith and there's room at this table. Father, Lord, there are people in this room, God, that this invitation has gone out to. And I know, I know there needs to be a response, God. We give an invitation, but there needs to be a responding to this message, God. And that response is simply, it's, it's pretty much as easy as ABC. It, it's just admitting that we are a sinner. It, that's the first thing we have to do, Lord, is that I'm nothing without you. We admit that we are lame, we are poor, we're blind. And God, that's usually the hardest step because I didn't want to admit what I was. I was afraid if I admitted what I was, you would reject me. But God, the invitation has gone out to people just like this. And you are just wanting us to simply admit that we are a sinner and we are lame and blind and poor. And then the next thing we have to do is we have to believe. Be God. We have to believe that you are the Son of God. We have to believe that you died on a cross. That you, in order to save us and to cover us at the table. We believe that there's only one way to 
heaven, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. And then C, simply we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all of our life. And that call I'm giving out right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, it, that call, I'm, it, the invitation is going out to you right now. And if that's you, if that's you, if you simply would say, I hear that call from God, and I, and I, and I want to receive that invitation. I want to receive Jesus Christ in my life. I want to come to the table. And if that's you, I want you to just shoot your hand up and you just say, I want to come. Yeah, I see two hands right there. I see three hands. I see you. I see. I see four hands. I see four hands that are saying, I want to be at that table. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Stand up all over the house, everybody. If you, if you can't stand for a long time, because I'm not guaranteeing we're leaving in a second, but it's stand. And I want you to pray this prayer with me, especially those that raised your hand. Hallelujah. A prayer doesn't save you, but but simply a a response of Jesus. Admitting, believing, and confessing, and it being genuine. But here, let's pray this. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I want you to be my Savior. Come into my heart. I believe that you died. I believe that you were buried. And I believe you raised from the dead to forgive me of my sins and to cover me of my lameness and my blindness and my filthiness. I confess you as Lord. I renounce all other other false gods and all other beliefs outside of this word. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.